Well, good morning. Last Sunday, we kicked off our new fall series called Hero Maker, and I introduced you to a friend of mine named Roy. Here he is. Everyone say, hello, Roy. We call him Papa G. We call him Papa G because his last name is Graparis. He's Greek, and he loves, loves golf. That's right, the three important Gs. Graparis, he's Greek and he loves golf. And if you've got a friend who's Greek, they're usually very warm, hospitable. They love large family gatherings and lots of food, larger than life. And that is our great gregarious, Graparis, Greek golfing friend, Papa G. One more time. Good morning, Papa G. Yeah, we told you the story about how in the summer of 2012, Papa G., blessed our family with a summer of golf lessons for my boys. And that couldn't have come at a better time. We were right uh, at, at, in, in kind of a, a really low part of our lives. We were in the middle of a, like a three-and-a-half-year cancer journey with one of my children. And Roy said, I want to bless my pastor's family with golf lessons, and it was fantastic. So we talked about that story a little bit, and I shared, shared that I sent a text message to Roy before I preached, said, hey, I'm going to be talking about you in the sermon. Just curious, how many hole-in-ones have you hit over your years of golf? And here's the text message I got back. Pastor Joel, this is my phone. Roy, thanks for thinking about me. Thank you for including me in the same sentence with your precious son, Sam. I was fortunate enough to have five. Everyone say five. Okay, hold up the high five. Hold up five. Think about five hole-in-ones. That's incredible. I was fortunate enough to have five hole-in-ones. But the memory I have that's most long-lasting of my golf experience is my summer with your two sons. Oh, that just kind of blows me away. Like, I've never had a hole-in-one. I mean, if I thought I, if I got a hole-in-one, I'd be like, that would be the highlight of my golfing experience, but not for Roy. Why? Why would that summer be the most memorable for him? Perhaps it's because God has built us. God has wired us to find our greatest moments of fulfillment, not as the hero, but as the hero maker. What if you and I, what if we were created to find our most satisfied life? the most fulfilling moments, where we are experiencing the abundant life that our Creator called us to have, created us to experience. What if that comes by investing in others instead of struggling for the spotlight ourselves? In a world that clamors for the spotlight, in a culture that says, it's about me, I need to be the one trending, I need to be the one promoting, that's promoted, I need to be the one that's in front. Well, what if God says, no, you will be most fulfilled, not as the hero, but as the hero maker. And last week we introduced this idea. We looked at a story in the life of Jesus from Luke chapter 10. We're going to read the f- couple of verses there. The Lord Jesus chose 72 other disciples. You normally think Jesus had 12 disciples. Now he's got 72. Well, that's because the mission was so big. So Jesus had more than 12 people that he was discipling. Twelve became the apostles, but there was a large group of men and women who followed Jesus. And so he picked 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in teams of two to all the towns and places he wanted to visit. And here's what he said. Here's what his instructions. His instructions to them were this. The harvest is great, 
but the workers are few. The harvest is overwhelming. The mission of God is tremendous. And we seem so inadequate. You drive onto the parking lot where you work at Corporate South and you think the thousands of people that are here today in all of these various buildings, many of whom don't know God, where do I even begin? You pull up to your parking spot at the elementary school where you teach and you stand before your kids, 23 different children, 23 different families, and the need is tremendous. You work in your manufacturing site, everyone on first shift, everyone on second shift, everyone on third shift. The need is so big. You drive in your neighborhood after lunch today. The yards may be well manicured. The beautiful autumn leaves on the beautiful trees may be falling. Everything looks great. But behind the beautiful um, drywall and the brick is a family. Thank God, the need is so massive. What do we do? He says, so pray. Pray to the Lord who's in charge of all the people, in charge of everything he's doing. Pray that God will send people to their exact spot in the mission field. So here's what happens. He sends out 72 disciples in teams of two and they come back. Verse 17 says this, the 72 disciples returned. They were joyful. They would say joy. Don't you love joy? Don't you want to live a life of joy? Wow, they returned and they joyfully reported to Jesus. And at the same time, Jesus was filled with joy. The abundant life, the satisfying life, the full life is when you're busy doing the work of God, not as the hero, but as the hero maker. So we talked about last week with our dream pads. Do you have your dream pads with you? Crickets, silence, nothing. Do you have your dream pads with you? We wrote down where we want to be hero makers in our family, in our home life, at work, and on our God mission. We said, God, how can I be a hero maker in my household, to my children, my siblings, my, my, my grandchildren, my parents? The home is where it begins. And our work, we spend 40, 50 hours a week with other people who, how can we be hero makers there? And finally, in our God mission. Because someday we will stand before God and give an account, and it's not going to be how many dollars an hour did you earn, how big was your salary, what was the degree you got in your education. It's going to be, did you fulfill your mission? And it's family, absolutely. It's work, absolutely. But it's the mission of God. We live in a world where the harvest, the mission, the need is so huge and overwhelming. So we pray. In fact, that's where we ended up. We pray. We give and we make disciples. Do you have your dream pad with you? We have a whopping six left. First service keeps taking them all. If you have your dream pad with you, pull that out. We'll be using that today and the following weeks. If you missed last week, we have six dream pads left. I don't know if we might have an usher. They may already be gone. If you didn't bring your dream pad and it's at home, don't take another one today. You're stealing from someone who really needs it. So pray, give, and we make disciples. Over the next several weeks, we'll talk about gift activation. We'll talk about permission giving. We'll talk about having a kingdom mindset. But today, we want to zero in 
on what it means to make disciples. And as you can tell, we've got a table with four chairs. I want you to give a big round of applause. They're all going to come right now. Our three guests plus me, will you give them a round of applause? And I'll introduce them to you in a moment. We've got Danielle Lorda, Jason Harshbarger, and Terrence Bond, two that uh, really inspire me with what God is doing in their life as disciple makers, and one of the one of the individuals in our church that inspires me with how he thinks about discipleship in the local church. This is Terrence Bond. He's one of our point leaders for Growth Track, and he serves on a team of individuals in our church. It's helping us think through how we help the church make better disciples. Of Jesus. So one more round of applause for our friends today. They're helping me. We want here's kind of a heartbeat. Sometimes I feel like I'm asking us to go and make disciples. Jesus didn't say go. Right? The Great Commission, as Jesus is ascending to his Father, he's breathed the Holy Spirit into his followers. He didn't say, Now go and invite people to church and let the pastor preach a good sermon. He said, go, right? In your going, make disciples of people. As you go about your daily life, and sometimes I feel like I'm preaching to myself, and I don't know how to do that. Ever feel like I don't know how to do that? Like, what, the, what does that mean? Sometimes I think we're really good as a church at, at attending and singing, but we're not good at making disciples, and that's our core mission. It's like the one business we're supposed to be about, we are a little bit insecure, and I'm first in line there after 40-some years of following Jesus. I'm like, Lord, give me a fresh sense of making disciples of people. And if I'm feeling that way, you probably are too. So we've invited these guests, and we're just going to have a conversation, just like I'm inviting you to come out to coffee with some friends. And we're going to talk about what does this look like. So guys, here we go. I'm going to just put it on the table right here. What do you mean make disciples? I mean, we're good at, I know what it means to hear a sermon. I know what it means to invite someone to church. Um, But Jesus didn't command me really to do that. Like the core command is, Joel, make disciples. And I'm like, what is that? What We think discipleship is going to a Sunday school class, right? Like if I learn these 16 things, then I'm a better disciple. But I don't think that's what Jesus meant. So there's the question. I'll just leave it to, the, to all of us. Make disciples. What is that? What does it look like? Danny, you're nodding the most. That means you're going first. Okay, yeah. No, um, am I? Yeah. Okay, so we, use, we go by a definition um, called, it's where we help people move from unbelief to belief in every area of life. So it's really helping people make Jesus Lord of every area of life. So to really um, be able to speak truth into lies people are believing and to help them and to point people to Jesus, it's the, the biggest thing is relationship. We believe it's having relationship with people and opening up your life to people, giving access to people, and you going in and just loving them for who they are. Not with an agenda, but just loving them and saying, I want to know you. I want to know your story, hear your pains and hearts. And then because, and and praying for them. And because of that, the Holy Spirit will guide you and direct you. But I would say ultimately, 
discipleship is relationship and giving access to another person and, and helping people move from the unbeliefs they have, the doubts, to the truth about who Jesus is. So what's the difference then? If, is discipleship learning? Um, is it education? Is it teaching? Is it instruction? You said that your key word was relationship. Um, but I would think that you've got to have some of these other components, but how does that all shake loose? Thank you, Jason. Terrence, yes. what do you... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so I think the greatest challenge we have in America, by and large, is that we've sort of reduced discipleship to knowledge. I know the Bible better than you, so I can disciple you. Um, but the problem is that's not in the Bible at all. In fact, it's counter to the Bible. And so the Bible would define discipleship as obedience. I love Jesus and I want to follow him. And if you're open to exploring that at least, then we can have a relationship together where we explore that. I think a key text for us would be 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 where Paul commands, he says, uh, be imitators of me as I follow Jesus. And really what he's saying there and a great challenge we have is we think discipleship is a one-way relationship where I have to be in a relationship with somebody who knows Jesus better than I have than I do so they can disciple me. But again, there's no real biblical precedent for that. Discipleship is a two-way relationship where we disciple each other. And so as we disciple each other, as we walk together, we get the essence of discipleship because when it's about knowledge, then it's about me, right? I'll disciple you, so the focus becomes me. But as we disciple each other, the focus becomes Jesus and how we can make each other more like Christ, how we can be, you know, the term is sanctified. You know, the Jason got out of Jason, the Jesus brought into Jason, insert yourself into that equation, comes together. So the whole idea of me and Jesus, I mean, that's just not biblical. Actually, it's anti-biblical according to Hebrews 10. But we have to have each other. We have to have an open life-on-life relationship, like Danny was saying, where we open up, we confess our sins to each other so we can pray for each other, where we speak the gospel to each other so we can walk out our gospel identities and so we can go in the world and bring transformation. So we need to start moving away from discipleship as knowledge and move toward discipleship as obedience. So then what does that look like if it's an unbeliever? Are you, am I to share my sins with the unbeliever? Is that a part of the... Or? That'd be fantastic, <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, we do. So basically what it looks like to disciple someone, really, if you've got your dream pad and something to write down, if you want to jot down a few things, this would be really important. Um, it begins, and the, the foremost thing you have to get from this is prayer. Like, you have to be praying. So if you've got a, a friend, an atheist, agnostic friend, or just a nun, someone who's nothing, uh, what, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to share with them? Well, don't make up your mind to share anything. Make up your mind to pray for them and to pray for yourself. Because this is about Jesus, not about us. And as we pray and welcome the Holy Spirit to move, he'll begin moving in their lives. So the first thing is to pray. And to pray all the time for them. Pray several times a day for them. Pray several times a day for yourself in that process as well. Second thing is story. If you would write that down, story. So we focus largely on, right? So we're like, hey, hey, can I take you out for a cup of coffee? Can I take you out for lunch? You know, whatnot. You take them there, right? You sit down. It's like, right? It's like, now what? Well, the first thing we do is like, tell me your story. And so I share the first service. I took a student out just a few weeks ago. 
and they don't have any background in the church at all. In fact, they're of a different religion. And I said, tell me your story. And their response was, how much? <laughs> and I said, all of it. And they're like, okay. And they talked for about 45 minutes, and they finally finished. They said, tell me your story. I told my story. And as we shared our stories, you could feel us just bonding together and growing. And by the end of it, even though we were of different religions, we literally were sharing our sins, our struggles. We were talking about Jesus and about where we're at with that. And we ended up staying a very long time just because we developed that depth of relationship. And the last thing I would add, pray, story. And the last thing is commitment. Like, be looking in your life. How can I begin to make space in my life for them on a regular basis? It doesn't have to be every single day, but on a regular basis, how can you make space for them? So I, I want to I talk about two of those things. Uh, story and, and the power of story and then making space. Like, I had an experience... Uh, Maybe it was at, at the end of no, at the end of September. So was that about a month ago? I'm I'm at the still uh, with some friends, having having dinner, and the server um, was pretty tatted up, right? And uh, and there were names. So I just asked them, I mean, whose names are on your your arm? And that led seriously. The server might have just sat down. I don't know what everyone else in the restaurant he was supposed to be. He probably talked for fifteen minutes about his wife, where they met, um, how they got married. They were both Catholic. He talked about their backgrounds. He talked about each of their kids. He showed his pictures. And like none of us hardly spoke a word. He just totally unloaded his story. And it just occurred to me, like, man, we just started with a question. Like, I think our, our country, our culture is starving for people just to listen. You know, we have like a million social network friends, but no one listens. Um, and then the thing you said about making time, I think that's the hardest. Like I look at my life and if I have any spare time that isn't job related, and I know you guys think my job is all spiritual. It's not, (laughs) it's a job. And there are times when like, when I'm done with my job, I just want to be with my wife, you know, and my kids and I've got chores at home. And if I don't think about people outside of my own normal circle, there is no time for anybody else. And I think that's probably the one thing that's been hardest for me to confront. Like, I'm, I don't, am I stewarding my life right? Because if I, at the end of the day, or at the end of a week, or at the end of a month, if I haven't gotten to know one person new, then I'll, I'll end up at the end of 2020. And I will have discipled no one. People will hear great sermons, and that's good. But I'm not, I really think I'm not going to stand before God, and his first question is, Joel, did you preach well, right? I think that will be on the list, but it might be nine or ten. Number one was, you know, were you the man that God, that I called you to be, and did you fulfill your mission, which it isn't Sunday sermons. And that's been a reawakening in me that I'm going to give an account for how I steward my life. And I don't know how everyone else feels, but my life is pretty much, every Lego brick of my life is filled. And how do I move something over to allow space for someone? And that's been challenging. Well, and and that's the the beauty of it all is that um, you two have both described two completely different um, discipleship moments. So we have one where you're establishing a relationship intentionally and having conversations, and another 
where you're just out with friends and all of a sudden you have an opportunity to just look at a person and say, tell me about yourself, tell me your story. Um, and I think we, we've minimized that moment and we say, well, discipleship, I have to like have my plan, I have to have my Bible, I have to be ready to go out. And if I'm not ready to run out and minister, and if I'm not ready to do all those things, then I'm, I'm not being a disciple. But in yet, in that, that short moment, with, with one server, just being able to say, you know, tell me about yourself. That's not a, that becomes so important to our discipleship moments. And I think we miss those opportunities. Yeah, because at the end of that conversation, you know, eventually, after me and our, our group listening for literally probably 15, 12, 15 minutes, there was a pause. And he said, so what do you do? You know, suddenly he realized he had dominated, which was fine. That was, I didn't mind. And he was able to know that, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I pastor a church. And, you know, this is, this is who I am. Um, I want to ask you guys, how, do, how would we, right, just in life on life, going to work every day, Romans 12 stuff, take your, your normal waking up, going to bed, going to work, eating kind of life. How do you make that, how do you start discipleship conversations? And then how do you make the most of an open door that might lead to something greater? Okay. Uh, we use an acrostic and so I want to give it to you now. So this is not from us. It's from a gentleman named Michael Frost. So an acrostic. So it's Bells, B-E-L-L-S. So if you want to write that on your dream pad, B-E-L-L-S. And I'll break each one down for you. Because um, that's the common question we get. Like, how do I, like, what's that look like? Hey, I've got a heart for them. I don't know what to do. So this will help you know what to do. So the B is bless. Bless. What is a way you can bless them? Um, can you take them a gift? Can you make something for them? Uh, can you speak word of affirmation? Man, I just like being around you. I just always look forward to being around you. You know, you got to kind of figure out their love language, right? If you're familiar with love languages. Like, what do they like? Figure out a way to bless them. The E is eat. We're all good at this, right? So, all Some Americans do at others. least <laughs> one thing 21 times a week, right? We eat. Many of us, many more. <laughs> uh, but we're not saying take every meal, and right? But could you take two or three? Could you take at least one and be intentional? Instead of sitting on your lunch hour, scrolling through Facebook on your phone while you eat, can you sit down with somebody? Can you take them out for lunch? Can you eat with them? And that's a great opportunity to kind of begin engaging them. The first L is called listen. Listen. And really that's kind of twofold. The first listen is listen to them, like we've been talking about. Ask them for their story. Listen to their story. And the second part of listen is listen to the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you, it's not tricky. Like, this is not rocket science. Like, once you go and you obey, Jesus takes over. More on that in a moment. So, listen. The, the second L is learn. Learn. As you're listening to their story, you need to pay attention. You'll notice certain points. Uh, you'll hear a hurt or a pain or a confusion or a disillusionment. Learn that. And then learn God's word at the same time because it's going to be up to us eventually. We didn't say then, but eventually we're the one to give them good news. We're the one to give them good news. So you've got to learn from their story. And the final S is going to be a little counterintuitive, but you've got to take it by faith. The final S is sent. Sent. 
And that is, you're going to begin speaking over them their future destiny in Christ. That God wants to use you to change the world. And so we tell, we've told this to students. I, I told this one time to an international student who has no background in Christianity at all. None. From the, literally the other side of the planet, the first time I met him, I'm like, God, I, you might not believe me yet, but I just want to let you know God wants to use you to change the world. Now most people are like, are you crazy? Potentially. But, that's not the question here. When I did that, his response to me wasn't like, get away from me, you religious freak. His response was, he got a big smile and goes, huh, okay. Want to go play basketball? Sure, right? And off we went, we played basketball, right? And so, bells. That is a way to engage people. And if time fails us this morning, but we could tell you incredible stories about students, professors, just regular people, neighbors, who just by being a practical person who avails yourself, maybe you should put this with it, the greatest ability you need to be a disciple maker is availability. Like that's the greatest ability you need. I'm available. And so it's not a, geez, you kidding me? More to add to my life. No, the word is rhythms. What are the rhythms of your life? Like you eat at certain times, you rest at certain times, you go to Walmart at certain times, don't you? Or Target or wherever, insert wherever. Instead of doing it by yourself, can you take somebody with you? Be intentional with the rhythms of your life. And so there, there's two words that are, are kind of being used. There's um, intentionality and then there's agenda. Um, and so one of the things that you want to do is, is definitely be intentional um, but don't go into a relationship with an agenda. And I think we've all been inside of a room or sat with a person and you realize after about a minute and a half talking to them, they're trying to sell you something, you know, or they're trying to get you to do something or they're, they're working on you in order to do something. Um, and eventually you just shut down because you're like, okay, I know this person, they've got an agenda. We, we know that. So it, you don't want to walk into a room with a person that you're building a relationship with, with an agenda, but you do want to be intentional, you know, so there's things that we want to do. We want to share our story, and, and for those of us who are Christians, our story wraps around this idea that, that Jesus loves us, and that Jesus has perfected us and has made us perfect. And so that all of the other things that happen in our lives, all the things, all the hurts that happen before the ones that come after, all of those things are covered in this fact that, that God loves us and God has created us to be perfect. And so when we're sharing our story, when we're sharing our relationship, um, we don't come into it with an agenda that I'm going to be able to do this or I'm going to be able to change you. But we want to be able to say, who are you? And when they ask you, who am I? Then you're able to say, this is who I am. And once you get there, then you allow that relationship to continue to grow. And so you, you have to watch out because if you do come with an agenda, if you do come with that purpose that I am going to do something, then you're taking the place of, of Jesus. It's not us. Jesus is going to do something. When we have these relationships, Jesus is going to do something in, in other people's lives. Our job is just to, to show God to them, to show them what it looks like to be loved, to be respected, to also show people what it looks like to fail, 
but then to continue on because people need to see that as well. They need to see us vulnerable. They need to see us as whole people. And so what, what we want to do is just establish relationships where we're real with people. I think what helps me is realizing I can't do anything. I mean, that just takes the weight off that no matter what happens in the conversation or where it goes, ultimately, if I've prayed, I've been humble, and I'm open for God to do whatever he wants to do, and I'm, I'm a good listener, because the, the, the common denominator of everyone from the front row here to the back row there, the common denominator is pain. This world is painful. Sin has destroyed everything. I mean, everything. I mean, you can't sit with anyone and say, hey, tell me your story. And, and if you're not, if I, I bet 8, 10, 15 minutes in, you'll hear pain. Something happened. My, di- my dad died when I was nine. Oh, my goodness. How? That's not God's plan for his creation, right? Death is not in the equation without sin. It's like, oh, man. And if you're listening, and I know I don't have an agenda other than to love them, find what's broken and say, Jesus, heal that part. What, what can I do to help heal that? What's my job to help, the, not me heal it, the, the healer, Jesus, engage with that person? You know, so it's not you follow me. It's, hey, I've got this other guy in the room. This is the healer, the one who died. And so it's me and you trying to know him. And if that is the bottom line for my life, then I'm much less uptight. And I'm just, I want to see God heal you. In every way. And no, you can't add anything. <laughs> oh, well, Raise your hand before you speak, please. I was, um, I was just thinking of this, what he's talking about with agenda. Like when you, going in with no agenda really helps you not put your identity in like how well you're discipling. Because it's a slow process, especially if it's someone who doesn't know Jesus. People from different perspectives and beliefs sometimes they're they're actually accepting christ is long down the road so if you go in with this mentality of i'm trying to you know i want them to convert whatever you may then feel bad because you're like well what am i doing wrong like am am i am i doing something wrong here and it's just like no so going in with that no agenda really helps you keep your identity in christ not in how well you disciple and because sometimes people, just the process is slow. I mean, think about your walk with Jesus and just even the stuff you overcome, your sin issues. Like, it's not just overnight. You had to walk through it. So you're going to have to be patient with people and know it is a journey. It's not just this, you know, quick process. It takes time. Like, it's, it's not just like, oh, I've been praying for them, praying for them, and you've only known them three months. They haven't given their life to Christ yet. It's okay. Like, it, it just takes time, and everyone's in different, you know, stages in their walk. Hey, can we talk, and we're almost out of time, but uh, we talked about it in first service, and we haven't wandered into this part of a conversation, but discipleship is really a, a two-way street. So if Terrence and I, um, we're meeting together, maybe both believers or one of us a believer, one not a believer, um, I'm learning from Terrence, Terrence is learning from me, and it really doesn't matter. I mean, we put everything, especially as Americans, we want to categorize people, Right? Um, and break them down, and I'm here, and you're there. If you strip away all of that, we're just two people, either a believer or an unbeliever, but really the goal is for both of us to be united to our Father. Um, so how, 
as a, if if I feel like I'm the discipler, right? I'm the maybe let me say it differently. If I'm further down the road, how can I learn from either a new believer or an unbeliever that makes me a, a better follower of Jesus? Like I had, the, I'll share, I'm answering my own question. Can I do that? That's kind of rude. But I just remembered what happened in our life group. So we had a life group number one. And who's the most spiritual and mature in the pastor's life group? It is, of course, not me. Angela, there you go. Yeah, okay, someone who knows my wife. So we challenge our group. Hey, this week, let's live on mission. Let's do everything we can. Man, God's going to use us this week. And so we post that on our group meet with our life group. And one person responds. And it was a family that's one, probably in our life group, the newest family to our church. And she's like, man, God just used me today. I bought a meal for someone. We talked. I told her God loved her, listened to her story. She cried. I prayed for her. And it's like, it was so awesome. I'm thinking, all right, the pastor didn't do that. And, she, and it, was, it challenged me. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I mean, Sandy inspired me, right? So here's Sandy inspiring pastor. I mean, give me another example. Sorry, I just answered my own question. That's kind of rude. I actually do have one with a student. Um, this was a former student I had. So I've um, always had, uh, like, bad back issues. And so I've prayed a lot of times for it to be healed. And, you know, believing in faith, it's going to be healed. And, you know, hasn't been healed. So I'm just like, okay. You know, I still know God heals. And I still believe he heals. And I'm like, well, I still, okay. But I've just... So then there was a moment where they're like, let's pray for your back. Or, and I was just like, oh, I'm okay, I have before. You know, I'll admit, you know, I said that. And then there's someone who's just kind of just new to following Jesus is like, she challenges me. She's like, you know Jesus heals. We're going to pray for you right now because he could heal. And it just really in- encouraged and inspired me because I was just kind of like, eh. But then she's just like, no, it doesn't matter how many times. We keep praying until we see it. And I'm like... Okay, like it was so encouraging because I'm like, you're right, I do. It doesn't matter how many times we've prayed, God is moving and he's doing things and this could be the time it's healed. So, yeah. Cool, well, we're down to our last couple minutes. So I was just gonna say, anything else we wanna share before we uh, wrap this up? So Terrence. I guess I'll, I'll say because she's not here and I won't embarrass her. My wife is the, the person who's constantly pressing me because um I was one that grew up in the church, and um, she was a, as a new believer. Um, and so we've walked in this, this experience together at definitely at, at different points in our, our spiritual journey, but always together. And so, um, you know, the, the type of energy that she brings, um, she's more excitable than me as well. But... Um, the energy that she brings into just general conversation. So when she's out talking with a, um, a client or when she's out just talking with friends, um, it's just raw. You know, there's, there's no question about whether or not there's a, a certain scripture that she's supposed to remember or a certain idea or a concept. It's just, it's, it's real, you know, and so I have to remember that it's, it, it's not always about having that right knowledge base or having that right example, but just listening to people and being real with them, sharing. And, and she'll do this a lot where she'll share her story, um, and that allows people to then share their story. And it's not the story of everything that God has done for us since, 
um, you know, we found them, but it starts with everything that we had to to come overcome to get to where we are. And so I just, I always, um, you know, it's a, a role model for me because I'm more reserved with my story and to making sure that, that we are just going out there and, and showing that love. That's good. Jason, any last comments or thoughts? I, I would just encourage us all to think in terms of community, not individuality. Not I'm going to go out and make my disciples. But uh, if you've got a partner you can do it with, I just want to encourage you. It's so much better. Uh, if it's you alone at State Farm in a cubicle, we get it. You can't bring somebody there with you. But that's why you need to be involved in a life group or you need to be involved where, some, where people can ask you questions. But here's the reality. You eventually, and I know we're getting a little further down the road in the relationship, but you need to figure out how to pull them into community. Like it's not them and Jesus. It's not me and Jesus. It's us and Jesus. And so we need to have as a goal, what are ways I can introduce them? And sometimes, if we're going to have a raw moment here, bringing them to church is a bad idea. Um, and people are like, what do you mean by that? Well, because I don't want to bring my atheist friend here to sing songs they don't believe in, you know, da-da-da-da. But today at 4 o'clock, we're having a cookout at Pastor Joel's house. That's official now. Uh, just kidding. Totally kidding. Totally kidding. Totally kidding. But, you know, if we know we're going to have a life group at his house or Terrence's house or my house, whatever, that afternoon, that's a great place to bring them. You know what I'm saying? Like we're going to stand around, we're going to talk about football, life, whatever. And that's the place to introduce them and to see, man, these people are great people. I don't necessarily believe like them first. Because what we want to do is we want them to believe so they can belong. But biblically, people belong before they believe. And so we need to find out ways to get them involved in community. So it's not just you and them, but you and us. And then through that, there's more help for you as discipleship. And there's a greater ability for them to see the beauty of God's kingdom, the diversity of his kingdom. It's very good. Can we give them a round of applause this morning? Thank you, Danny, Jason, and Terrence. Uh, that was our cue to stand up and, and leave the platform, but that's, that's really okay. Um, one more round of applause as they're going. It was fantastic. Hope you... Uh, Hope you enjoyed it. Just got a couple of things before we wrap up today. We've been talking about being a hero maker, discipling people. And you may be here and you're not following Jesus yourself. I mean, that's the most fundamental, most important thing. Like if you're here and we're talking about, man, how the abundant life is following Jesus. And you're like, okay, I'm new to this place. I'm new to these thoughts. But man, I, I don't know if I'm personally following Jesus. Well, here's the good news. Basic one-on-one. The good news is this. In a world that is broken and ugly and bad, God's done something really, really good. And that is he sent Jesus to show you that he loves you and he can change your life. God says, I love you so much. I will give what I love the most to die for you. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, I love you. I like you a lot, but I don't know if I'd take the life of a child to save you. That's a love that is unfathomable. And yet God says, I will redeem the world by giving my best. So Jesus came, he lived a sinless life, and he died. And that's not the end of the story. If he died, that'd be cool. He died for me, but it's more than that. He rose from the dead. That means God not only sent Jesus to die for my sin, he rose him for the dead to give me the model of how to live an abundant life. It's totally different. So maybe you've been living life just making it through the best you can on your own. And man, it's, it's a tough world. It's a tough life. But Jesus came 
to pay the penalty for our sin, and to give us an abundant life that demonstrates the love of God in us. So here's what we're going to do. And we're going to pray together, and we're just going to all as a church just say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I want to live and follow you, and then I'm going to ask you to take some steps. And here's the steps at First Assembly. It's pretty simple. Step number one is go to Connecting Point, which is right out the door. You're going to help you get into growth track. This Great gentleman beside me, Terrence, is one of our point leaders there. It's a four-week conversation about what it means to follow Jesus. And then we want to get you into a life group, a community where we can disciple one another. You can teach others. They can teach you. We can grow together in following the Lord. So are we ready to pray? Okay, come on, First Assembly. I, I, I need you here. Are you ready to pray? All right, so let's pray. Dear God, this is a broken world. <laughs> and a lot of the brokenness has come to me. I admit I need your forgiveness. I need your healing. And I need your abundant life. So I acknowledge today that Jesus died for my sin and he rose from the dead to give me new life. And that's what I want. So make me today a new person following Jesus. Amen. Maybe you're new uh, to this whole God thing. I'd encourage you to follow that little path. Go to Connecting Point this morning. We'll help you get plugged into Growth Track, and we'll get you plugged into a life group. Now, I need four more minutes of your time. This has been um, a season where, I don't know, I just as I've been praying for the church, I sense God doing something new here. And I don't know if that's news to you, if you sense that as well. And so I just want to talk a little bit about over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about these three things, right? We pray, we give, we make disciples, we want to be hero makers. And I want to talk about that. It was a year ago. So let me just pastor you, tell you some personal stuff. It was a year ago. I've shared this with a few close friends, our pastors, deacons. It was a year ago, November 6th, 2018. So next week, week and a half, it'll be a year ago. I was sitting, Pastor Kenny was here, and man, just God dropped in my heart. He said, I'm going to do a new thing at First Assembly. November 6, 2018, middle of that afternoon, clear as a bell. I just leaned over to Kenny and said, man, I think God just told me he's going to plant something new at First Assembly. We need to, this is going to be good. We need to be ready. And I don't know if you've sensed that, but God is doing it. That was on November 6th. Here we are 12 months later, and it has been a year. God said, I'm going to do something new. And here I am a year later going, wow, what a year. I would define the last year with two words. One is battle. Number two is beginning. When God does something new, it often begins with some battle. We've publicly walked through it. As a family, many of you who've been a part of our church know, I have felt from the beginning that these two things have been related, that our family was going to be hit, and we were, and we have been. But it's not me. I just stand at the front of a long line. This last year, more than I've been a pastor for 25 years, it's been dumbfounding how many very critical, godly people, families that are just key to the church, have had one of their toughest years of battle in their lives. 
It seems like a year, a week hasn't gone by in the last 12 months where someone has called me. I get nervous, so I see a phone call. I'm going, oh man, here's another family going through battle. You know, wow, can you relate? If you've been through battle this year, I just want to disarm that. I want you to know you're not alone. And I want you to know I think you're part of a bigger story as God is going to birth something fresh here and the enemy doesn't want that to happen. And so if you've gone through one of the most difficult years of your life and you feel like, man, I'm just barely hanging on, welcome to a great team. And welcome to a great group of people that feel the same as you. And the Bible says you put on all the armor of God and when you've done everything to stand, you stand. So I just want to encourage you. We're coming to the end of a year that I had no idea would be so difficult and so pivotal. And if you've been in a battle, don't feel alone. Just stand. And I believe breakthrough is coming. But the second word is beginning. I had no idea all that God would have to do new. When he spoke to me, he said, I'm going to do something new at First Assembly. I had no idea that so much old had to change. It's not happened by any personal will or agenda. I honestly believe it's just the Lord. Jesus said you can't put new wine into old wineskins. In other words, it's not that the old wineskins are bad. They were good and they are good. But if something new comes in, it won't work. There's got to be change. And change is always, always, always hard. And there's always more change than you ever imagined. And that's what has been happening for a year. So it's been a year of battle and it's been a year of beginning as some things that are old have gone and new things have come. And I have sensed as a pastor and I've been telling our team, look for the new, look for the new, look for the new. And so that's what God is doing. So we've talked about new foundations. I've seen them happening, new ministries being born, new leadership coming in. It's been crazy to watch this unfold. And I haven't talked about one thing, but I I need to talk about it starting today. And we're going to talk about it for a month. And we'll end it right before Thanksgiving. And that is the new beginning of, we've seen new birth of foundation of leadership, new foundation of ministry, all of these things. One foundation I need to address is a foundation of giving. When old has gone and new has come, I want to talk to the new. If you're new to our church in the last year, I want to talk to you about the joy that comes in being a faithful giver. If you're new to the church, I want to talk about the joy of God using you to be a hero maker in giving. And specifically, that means tithing. So for the next three minutes, let me talk about it. It's simply this, tithe. What is tithe? Tithe is giving to God the top, the first 10% of everything he gives you. God gives you everything, and he says, give back to me as an act of worship 10%, which sounds crazy. Why would God want us to do that? Because it's good. It's really good for me, and it's really good for you. When I tithe, you know what happens? The ugly thing in my life called greed, it dies And God liberates me. Greed is such a bondage. We look around and it's easy to point the finger. Greedy, 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 greedy. And we see the destruction. Until you look in the mirror and realize that greed's in me too. Because greed always says, I need all that I have and just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And tithing not only moves us to the place where we say, well, I'm going to live within my means. 
Tithing says, it's not, I need everything and a little bit more. It's not even, I need everything I have for myself. Tithing says, I'm going to live on 90% and give away 10. Why on earth would we do that? Because that destroys me. This blesses me. The Bible says it is better to give than to, it's better to live here than there. And if you say it's better to give than to receive, but you need just a little bit more or you need everything to yourself, you're not really experiencing the joy of giving. It's good for us. It liberates us from greed and it allows us to live a hero-making life. It's incredible. It liberates us and it frees us. It's not only good for us, it's good for others. When I give away, that means other people are benefiting from me. Every month, Angel and I tithe to the group of churches called the Assemblies of God. I give it away so other pastors could be blessed. If I keep it for myself, I could use it for good. Oh, how much better to give it away and let other people experience the good. And we do the same thing as a local church. So it's good for us, it's good for others, and it makes our life a conduit for God to bless. So here's what I'm asking you to do over the next month. We're talking about hero-making God using us to make disciples, activate gifts, see the best in other people, and elevate others. Here's what I'm asking. If you're new to the faith, new to the church, new to tithing, I want you to write in your dream pad or screenshot this or take a picture with your phone, these three verses and I want passages, and I want you to pray and study. This is not, why does Pastor Joel want me to tithe? If that's the question, you're accountable to me, and you're not accountable to me. You're accountable to God. You're never going to stand before me and give an account of your life. It's the Lord. So look at the Lord's word, pray through these scriptures and think about it for a month and then make a decision by November 24th. If you're going to, like Malachi says, test me, try me, see if I don't prove myself true in blessing you in this. And then for all of us that are tithing, we're giving, we're faithful to the Lord's church that way on November 24th. Everyone say November 24th. That's the Sunday before Thanksgiving. We're going to give a thank offering. We're going to give a hero maker offering. So we're going to go above and beyond on one Sunday just to help God make us to be a hero making church. Make sense? Take some time if you're new. Just figure out what God wants you to do. I full heartedly believe that on November 6th, God dropped that in my heart. I'm thankful he didn't tell me all the stuff that we would have to go through in the last year. I, don't, I might have said no to God. But I believe the vision and the direction in January and February, we'll be talking about what God's put on our heart. God's brought us through a lot of battle, birthed a lot of fresh beginnings. And I believe God's gonna do some mighty things through First Assembly in the days to come. So Father, as we go today, We pray, Jesus, you would use us to live out the mission of God in this world. So much is broken and busted and painful and hurting. The harvest is so great, so we pray and give us opportunity this week to bring good news to a hurting world. In Christ's name, can we shout amen? Amen. Amen. Go with God and in his grace. God bless you.